And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Steph and I figured you might want a podcast to listen to on your travels this week. If you're heading somewhere, if you're heading back from somewhere, we had a whole whole lot to catch up on since the last time she was on the show was in early October. We've had the NWSL Championship. We've had the final U.S. Women's National Team Games of the Year. Lauren Holiday elected into the Hall of Fame. We've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to get into it. But before we get to the rest of today's episode... You can show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app, and you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. Now, currently, our Black Friday deal is happening. That's right. It's a dollar a month for 12 months. That deal is back, and it's only through this weekend. So if you subscribe right now for $12, that means you are getting double the World Cup coverage in the span of those 12 months, the Men's World Cup obviously happening right now plus the women's world cup in australia and new zealand next summer we've got a lot planned a little bit more on that in just a second but the timing could not be better if you're a soccer or football fan so again the link is theathletic.com slash full-time or of course you can click on any story by me or steph and you can sign up right there all of those ways shows your support for women's soccer and our coverage all right it's a little news heavy. Uh, we mentioned a lot of it. So we're just going to get right in. Here's Steph. So let's let's start because there is some news <laughs> at The Athletic <laughs> this week about this incoming deal that we have with Google to help really, I think, double um, coverage of women's sports, which I think we're both very excited about and also, I think, slightly overwhelmed by. But um <laughs> I don't know. I thought it would be fun just to talk about like both of us got our start in a way where we were paying to do this mm-hmm. out of our own pocket. And now there's real value. And, you know, it's it's the end of the year. I feel like we're, we're able to reflect a little bit now. And this just feels really different and nice and good. I like it. <laughs> if you had told me at the beginning of this when I was paying <laughs> to like rent a car or borrow my friend's car, like bundle myself onto the tee somehow, or ride my bike, or take my skateboard to Harvard Stadium, that like one day Google was going to become a sponsor and give us, throw us some money to cover women's sports. Uh, I might have believed you actually, but I would have been like, that's not going to happen to me. (laughs) I mean, so I I think, you know, for for folks who might not have seen some of, I don't think probably a lot of people are hanging out on the New York Times, like official press releases page or anything. (laughs) Um, I mean, the deal, the deal spans not just women's soccer, but also I think is actually like way more intensive on the women's basketball side. Uh, The Athletic also just hired two full-time women's basketball writers, Sabrina and Ben, to help fill out that coverage. So, you know, it's obviously WNBA, but it's 
college basketball as well, which we are now in that season um, and seeing some good viewership numbers there. But, you know, I think for us, the sense that so much of this deal is going directly back into the coverage, right, which I think is really important, but there's going to be, you know, travel budgets ahead of the World Cup. There's going to be additional resources, hopefully some additional editors, just so that way, you know, God bless our editors, Brooks and Alex, who are suffering through <laughs> men's World Cup right now and also trying to handle the two of us um, off doing our own little thing <laughs> as everybody's attention is is on the Men's World Cup. But, you know, that I, I think that there is this sense of the deal has a very specific purpose. And it's not just, hey, here's some money to go do some stuff. Um, there is a real plan around it. And... I think heading into a World Cup year to to get a sense of, you know, we're going to be able to do something that I think people haven't really seen before in, in following these kind of dedicated storylines from December until the tournament happens. I think that's, I, I feel almost always like heading into a World Cup, there's very little planning sometimes. <laughs> like I, when I, when I joined the athletic back in 2019, um, it was, you know, right before the World Cup was really getting, I started in April. So the sense of just kind of launching into things and then going to France for a month on my own and planning all my own travel and staying in Airbnbs and and trying to wrap my, you know, like two arms around a massive tournament and it's only going to get bigger this next summer. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a very different vibe. So Steph, what are, what are you, um, uh, it, I'm trying I to also just that. wrap my head around the fact that we have a world cup around the corner. I love that they onboarded you right before the world cup. I got onboarded right before the Olympics. <laughs> so it's, it's now developing a worrying pattern of being like, Hey, huge tournament <laughs> no, incoming. Go. You have a, a month to prepare. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, I, but let's talk about the way that major tournaments have always kind of, I think, been a thing. You know, we were both in London, right? And the thing that has really, really stuck in the back of my mind is Sarah Gregorius was on a panel. Um, she's at FIFA, former player, right? Um, has lived through a lot of what we have lived through on the other side of it. And, you know, there, I think there was some very understandable and clear frustration um, of, you know, we keep hearing all this coverage about amazing attendance and, uh, you know, like, oh, this is going to be the thing that launches. We could have been doing it this whole time, but there's nothing that would have made us wait for it. And that mm -hmm. has really stuck in my head a lot of, yeah, tournaments are great. It's the day-to-day -day stuff and it's the day-to-day storylines. And I think that has been, one of the things where, you know, there's only two of us, both of us um, have wives and lives and like to sleep and, and do <laughs> things beyond work. And both of us have, have problems. You know, we have had a lot of discussions about trying to take time off um, in a way that doesn't make us feel more guilty for taking time off. Um, and this might actually be the thing that, that helps on that front, which is nice. The, f the conversation about oh, this tournament's going to change everything. I used to say that too, like 10 years ago, but I came to realize really quickly as I got more and more of a glimpse of how the sausage is made, is that it requires somebody to have a plan. 
it's really that simple, right? But people seem to think like, oh, it'll just like feed into the zeitgeist and things will kind of naturally. No, it requires someone to have an actual plan and to find the money and to like hound a bunch of people into like marshalling all these resources. And I'm just not convinced that, you know, some leagues more than others, some federations more than others have an actual plan and a plan that you have to get the balls rolling like at least a year out. You can't see the results and then be like, oh, oh my God, we, all these people came, we got to get more people to the WSL. Oh, Arsenal plays where? Like, yeah. you know? So it has to be someone who has the foresight and is already bought into like, yeah, this tournament's going to be huge. Of course, look at the ticket demand. Can you believe we had another round of like FIFA stunned by ticket demand for Women's World Cup? And it's like, I but, mean, can you believe that we had a whole round of FIFA being like, ah, oh, we're rejecting your media rights bids for the Women's World Cup because they're undervalued. And it's like that meme of like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> right. It's such a like contrast as well of of like what's what's going on over there, you know? Right. So the other part of this, too, is that we're now also proud owners of Google Pixel phones. Uh <laughs> I haven't unboxed mine yet because I don't have a case for it. And if <laughs> if the phone doesn't go from the box to the case, then it's not coming out. Because yeah. it's not just the case. Like the, I need a screen protector very desperately. Like that is going to have to be very, very crucial. But that's my next stop after this. It's going to the nearest phone star store and being like, give me the, especially the one with the privacy screen. So when you tilt it, <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's that's the big news. I mean, I think that you know we do have a we do have a plan, but also. These are, are very much still in the works. Like, I think we have a good sense of the content, but how all of this is going to play out in terms of hiring and all that is still very much in the works. So just basically stay tuned with us. Um, I think the the really encouraging thing is that we have seen a really significant buy-in. Obviously, the a partnership like this is going to change a lot of things, but you know, there have been people in, uh, we have both been in a lot of meetings <laughs> over the past few months. Um, and I think that there really is this kind of like very significant buy-in. This is only, I think, the start, really. That's that's my hope. Um, you know, I think sometimes it is a little struggle to remain hopeful and, and just in terms of feeling like, you know, we've been banging our heads against the walls for a decade and, and um, yeah, I think that there is there is some significant progress on this front. I, I do want to shift us into NWSL mode, but let's let's kind of stay reasonably on this topic because I want to talk about TV numbers for the championship to start. Nine hundred and fifteen thousand viewers for the championship, like just shy of a million, which I think everybody was kind of hoping for as the big number that we were going to get, but still. Very, I think, very significant up against college football um, in primetime, right? Um, this now kind of feels like we're in a different, a different era of the NWSL. I think what you and I and probably most other people can't wait to see is how this affects the next TV deal. Like the numbers are good, but now, like we just said, does someone have a plan? <laughs> to take this data and these numbers and go to someone CBS or whatever, be like, 
look, look, look at this good stuff that we gave to you. Look at this good food. <laughs> look at all this food. <laughs> yeah, look at all this good food that we served up to you. Like the price has gone up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I we know from the press conference too that CBS has this kind of exclusive negotiating position. There was, if you missed it, I'll I'll toss a link into the show notes, but there was a very interesting interview with a CBS executive on the athletic um with Richard, who covers kind of the media side of of sports, where I wouldn't say it was necessarily encouraging in terms of like the quotes that were were coming out of. I, I think, you know, there is kind of still this weird little disconnect in that, we, you know, we're looking at MLS and Apple TV. And I think that there are maybe there's a lot of encouraging things around numbers, but I think we're still in this bigger uh, discussion about what is necessary for the NWSL at this moment in time. Is it, getting that massive, you know, number millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, right. Of going from what I think is 1.5, right. For CBS a year right now to something 10 times that maybe, um, but then putting everything behind a potential paywall or is it getting more games on CBS or, you know, uh, if you flip to ESPN, getting games on ESPN, potentially ABC, right. The way that WNBA gets access to those channels. Um, is it potentially diversifying? So that way, instead of like a CBS, CBS SN, Paramount Plus, you you flip over to deals with multiple networks the way that MLS used to operate, where they would flip between Fox and ESPN. You know, there, there's mm. a lot of options on the table, but I think it all kind of comes back to this conversation of what does the NWSL right now need Mm -hmm. And I still remain convinced that it is still in the space where you just need to get more games on television outside of, you know, a streaming access point. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's instructive. I think the W is maybe instructive as well. My wife is a huge WNBA fan. Um She's like a, a basketball nerd, actually. I'll go into her office and she's got like Euro, like obscure Euro teams <laughs> playing on her TV at all hours. Um, and she has like five different apps in order to watch the dub between like ESPN, Hulu. Uh, she has to do SNY for like, uh, I think, oh, yeah, Liberty, or some Liberty yeah. games. Yeah. Because yep. um, she's like, I want a streaming device and it has to have this huge list of apps <laughs> in order for me to watch all the W games. And I think fans of NWSL are the same thing. They never know. It's like, is it on Paramount Plus? Is it on CBS Sports? Is this going to be a Twitch game? Mm -hmm. Is it a Twitch International? Like, and I appreciate that they have to do that to kind of like get coverage of everybody. They can't get every single game on like CBS Sports or main CBS. Although maybe that should be the question. Like, why not? I mean, what's interesting is that there is... It's not unusual for sports to have multiple channels that you have to turn to, right? Like you think yeah. about the NFL and the shift, right, of Thursday night football, whatever it is, to Amazon, right? Like yep. you know where those things are, though, because that has been built over a number of years. Yeah. And so there's no question of, okay, we know Sunday night football is here, whatever. Like people have been trained to know where games are. So it's not the multiple channels that are the issue. It's the communication of that, that I think, and also the like years of figuring it out. So even though there was a shift for NFL coverage, 
the shift felt decent enough. Well, A, because it's only one thing at a time, right? But B, because, okay, the messaging was so over the top, too. That's true. You remember initially with the season, you, I think even Alex Morgan was like, I can't tell which of these games are on which channel, please. Well, she even asked the NWSL to redo their, their right. she was like, graphics. Please republish graphics. Extremely, I think, a valid criticism because I also found them impossible. Right. Like, she said- they're just not accessible in terms of like looking at it and immediately going okay i know how to figure out where a game is no she sent it back to the graphics department and was like (laughs) marked up right it was like make these changes please which is also very like dude i don't know it's like a ux thing right where you need to be able to like you just read it left to right if you're in the us and then you know like bing bing boom the info is there yeah I mean, sometimes it really is that easy. And I think, you know, this is a conversation that I've had with Andrea Bremer now a few times of like, how can sponsors maybe come in and address some of these like bigger concerns of, we don't know how to watch games, right? Like when we were walking around Washington, D.C. for the championship, it felt like everywhere you turned, there was legitimately an ally ad. (laughs) It was like, watch the goddamn championship. It is on CBS at 8 p.m. in primetime. And sometimes that's all you need to do but it was in subways it was on the streets Mm -hmm. no it's it's the hulu has live sports approach where they literally just tell you what the thing is which i'm a big fan of in advertising and in naming businesses literally just say what the thing is you don't need to be clever hulu has live sports and there's a championship on cbs at at 8 p.m that's it yep yep Uh, let's talk about the championship just because that was First of all, if we want to come full circle a little bit, both of us were at the 2013 <laughs> WSL <laughs> Championship. Both of us were at this most recent one. They felt like two completely different universes. Um, I remember I was sitting across from AD French at an event, and I just remember looking over at her, and I was like, this is a long, long way from Western New York 2013. Right. Like just- standing outside of one of those uh, garbage plate food trucks, <laughs> shoveling in in a little huddle in Rochester. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think that was kind of the major story. Like, uh, yes, Thorns winning, obviously, major storyline. But from off-the-field perspective, this felt bigger in a way than any, like, you know, I, I think the the championship game in Louisville felt like an event, right? And also Louisville, you know, that downtown is pretty small, so it felt no matter where you turned, you were seeing someone that you knew, but there's something about DC, all of the events around it, the night before party, um, the actual game itself, it just felt finally like the NWSL has unlocked something there in terms of turning the championship into what we all thought the championship should be. Mm-hmm. And I want to tack on a little shout out to the Spirit Squadron as well, because some of the fan events around it also felt like, oh, this is championship weekend. So I was like, okay, they, they, they got the they got the notes, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it felt like every level there was always, I mean, at at some points there were like three events happening all at the same time. Right. So there was this kind of sense of there's a lot around it. Truly. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was just, I, I also think like there is no better moment for at least us on the media side than at the end of the game, with the winning team and being down on the field for the trophy lift. And then, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> getting in trouble as we follow the thorns over to the supporter section for their celebration and being on the field. And, you know, when Becky Dowron got presented with her, those those jackets that they gave the 10 year OG players were amazing. Like truly, mm-hmm. that was that was a really, really nice touch from the league, I thought, which was copied from the WNBA, right? Didn't the WNBA do varsity jackets for certain players? Sure, I I believe that. I, I think I think it was a slight copy, but no matter what, it was still a really nice touch. And Becky Sauerbrunn being found on the field by an NWSL employee and like getting the jacket put on her, um, it was like the two of us standing there <laughs> when it happened. Uh, it, it's just you know like there are small moments like that that I think are really just amazing to capture, especially for players who have been around the league since day one. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that happened for you in championship weekend that you are still treasuring? I was, well, I was there covering because in 2013, I was a fan. Right. I hadn't started really covering soccer just yet. I think in 2013, I was barely doing a little bit of beat writing for the breakers who were never (laughs) within like sniffing distance of the championship. RIP. Yeah. It just felt professional in a way that it hasn't up until now with all due respect to previous hosts. They, like you said, there were some, there were some glitzy events Mm -hmm. and maybe I just hadn't seen it before, but also just events where like a lot of owners came in and it was clear that they're, you know, invested in the league and in the product and in communicating. Um, And I was just like, Oh, this feels more, coordinated than it has in the past once again with the caveat like i haven't always super had the most clear window into the inner whatever of nwsl who does um but yeah it it really felt like it kind of like took that leap a little bit yeah Yeah. all right thorns as champions i i still remain fascinated by the thorns kind of narrative of this past year because it really does feel like they flew under the radar for a huge chunk of the year beyond Sophia Smith, right? Obviously Mm -hmm. getting a lot of deserved attention um, in her MVP winning season. But as a team, it kind of felt like they, I don't want to say that they were underrated because I don't think that was actually the case, but maybe like taken for granted a little bit, just like the thorns are there. They're doing well. The, the, Shield race came down to the wire, right? To the very mm-hmm. last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the little kind of, okay, they get the bye week. How is this going to impact? Because we have historically seen the bye week have a negative impact on teams. And mm-hmm. then the game against San Diego and then heading into the championship. And then that championship game was just an extremely, extremely dominating performance. Um yeah. Your story of immediately following the championship. I want to talk about Rian a little just because first year head coaches, like the narrative of, of 2013 Cindy Parlo Cohn wins the championship with Portland. <laughs> 2022 Rian Wilkinson wins the championship with Portland. Like there was just a nice little reflection there, but right. also not uh, a coach of the year. Right. Although in 2013, everyone was a first year. Yeah. I mean, to be, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, still like there is it just in terms of like women winning the championship as a head coach too. Like, yeah, it felt, it felt 
you know, we kept getting all these like weird little full circle moments, I thought. I know, I know. It's it's nice. Um yeah, I think the Thorns were a little bit victims of their own success. There's this great Calvin and Hobbes comic where he like makes an A or something. And I think Susie Durkins is like, you're capable of making A's. Why don't you make A's? And he's like, I want to keep people's expectations low so that I don't ever have to meet, you know, higher than a C, whatever. And <laughs> the Thorns keep getting A pluses. So now everyone's like, yeah, they're an A plus student. They're, they keep getting A pluses. What, what, what's the big deal? Right. And they were like an A minus student this season. So everyone was like, yeah, they're fine. And I think they also took a little bit of a hit in the beginning because Rian was understandably kind of like searching around for what she was going to do with this team where she was trying to do that blend of keeping the ball rolling on the culture, which she and the players talked about a lot Mm -hmm. over the course of the season and in the championship, how there was an established culture there that she didn't want to fiddle with too much because she thought like yeah it's good um but also with like she's her own coach she has her own ideas she has her own players and then obviously later on in the season also having to reintegrate crystal dunn which what a problem to have yeah or, <laughs> like i'm sure all the other coaches are like oh oh you had to reintegrate crystal dunn <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just thinking of Matt Potter telling everyone when I saw her coming in, I just thought, oh no, here we go. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, so mean. It's just I so know, mean. I yeah. know. Um, so yeah, I think they were a little bit victims of their own success where everyone's like, yeah, they're, they're fine. They're going to make the playoffs or they should. And if, and it's only if they don't that suddenly mm-hmm. it's like, mm, disaster, you know? Yep. yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I mean, I think for for Portland, just in terms of like you think about that team, also, I don't know if you watched the, the celebration back in Portland, right? Uh, sink <laughs> announcing that she's returning to Portland and cursing, mm-hmm. which is always delightful. But you know there is, uh, I, I think, and and we we might touch on this a little bit. But 2022 was a weird fucking year in the NWL to say the least, right? In terms of everything that happened off the field, in terms of fallout from 2021, you have the H report dropping right ahead of postseason, and you know think about all the conversations that we've had with players from Portland in the sense of that locker room really was, I think a very different space. Portland, obviously one of the teams that has been through so much of, of the fallout in terms of uncertainty around ownership. I mean, the players getting asked (laughs) in press conferences by people like, should your owner sell the team? Like they're getting put in these kind of impossible positions. And so, you know, I think every team, went through their own version of something, but Portland in particular obviously had a much higher version of that. And so that I think was a real theme from a lot of the postgame stuff of like, you know, we're not going to talk about what some of these discussions were. Obviously they're between teammates, but there was the sense of they have lived through something together and the culture that got built in that year was unlike a version of the team that had come before. Yeah. Yeah. I think Rian Wilkinson, it became pretty apparent as she spoke more throughout the championship weekend, even through, I think like the semifinals where, you know, I don't know if she was necessarily irritated, but she was certainly aware, like you guys are asking my players a lot of really emotionally difficult questions. And to a certain extent, it's understandable, especially right after the report dropped, but like, I could sense maybe she was irked or just wanted to redirect things back to the game because they were like, for one weekend, just yeah. one weekend, can this be about the players and the game on the field? Like, they've been through so much. Can we just, like, at least pretend <laughs> to be normal for one weekend? We'll talk about it more in the off season. And I was like, I think that's fair. We've yeah. talked about it and dissected it. There's another report yet to come before the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I really responded to that, especially once people started asking questions like, you know, condemn your, your employer yeah. live now, like unexpected yeah. question, condemn yeah. your employer. Yeah, it's just, it's a really impossible situation. Let's talk, I mean, we do know that the the other report is coming out before the end of the year. That's been generally the promise from the NWL. We have a sense of the scope. Um, there is, I think, kind of the sense of, oh, I, I think things have gone a little quiet 
almost in, in knowing that this is this is happening and you know players fortunately thank god are generally getting time off now like international duty is also generally done um some players have already gone overseas i mean you think about jess mcdonald immediately tearing it up in australia and we just found out tierna davidson is training in germany ahead of her return to the national team but you know this is december generally is like the month in theory where things calm down and this time around it might not be that um i don't know if i have anything smart or or helpful to say here but you know i think that this is just now kind of this weird limbo that we're in all over again I think the only thing I want to remind people of is we've said it before, but I think it bears repeating is Jasmine Spencer talked about this in a angel city, like town hall kind of thing where she's like, people were coming into my DMS asking me like, what do I do? What can I help? And it just added to the burden of having to do all this emotional labor. They're already having to do labor for themselves. So having, you know, fans look to them for the answers is, is natural. And I, I do think that, in general, that's right, right? You should, we should be centering what they want to do in this approach, but just reminding people like, can you be thoughtful about the burdens or the labor that you ask for from the players when there are, can you imagine if you kept getting a report on the most awful things that had happened either in your life or to your friends and you just kept having to read like a hundred page report on that every couple of months and then have everybody ask you about only that? Yeah. No thanks. No. No thanks. No thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, there is uh, a lot of work ahead for the two of us in December, um, just in terms of how this is going to play out. I do think that the sense coming out of the folks that I've talked to with NWCL is that the hope is that the report is out, but then also immediately that there are a whole bunch of actions taken almost at the same time, right? That mm-hmm. they, there is going to be a, a readout in terms of the league is going to obviously see this report ahead of the public. Um, and then actions will be taken in some form or another, whether that means fines, whether that means, I know you got that reference, um, whether that means suspensions, whether that means potentially other people departing the league because of what has been found. Um, you know, I think, kind of everything is all on the table, but also we are now, again, in this limbo of of what's going to happen. But we just kind of, we're, we're in the waiting mode at this point. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, th- other things are happening. I mean, Mark Parsons getting announced uh, as returning <laughs> to the NWSL. Uh, Seb Hines having interim taken off his uh, title in Orlando. Kelly O'Hara being the first free agent to move to another team i want to let's talk about the fine <laughs> that gotham took on this I think, news yes very because fitting. it is it is a perfect nwsl nonsense story that i deeply enjoy kelly o'hara causes chaos like sure what cracks me up is okay so kelly o'hara goes to a, a live men and blazers event in new york city and announces that she is moving to gotham fc as I said last week on the in, the in the podcast on the news section, we have no other details about, like, we still don't know how long the contract is for, any of this information. None of it is public. All we know is she's moving. There's a lot of social media content from Gotham. No details. 
the the league sends out a release saying this has been announced without the contract actually being done, which I guess we could just rename in honor of Angel City and Kristen Press, right? It's the Kristen Press fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think general consensus is these are always worth it because the the publicity that you get is going to be bigger than the fine that you're mm-hmm. going to pay. But it is, I understand from a rules point of view what is happening, but also at some point teams have to embrace this fine, I think. Because if Kelly O'Hara had gotten up on that stage and said, I'm going to Gotham FC and fuck your fine. It would have been the most legendary thing that has ever happened. And if there's a player who's probably willing to do that, it is Kelly O'Hara. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think all the reaction to that was a lot of like, oh, the end in NWSL is for no fun. Like, (laughs) come on. And again, yes, I understand the rules behind it. And in general, you do want papers to be signed before people be announcing contracts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, 100%. But yes. And so I, I also I'm like, yeah, you got to find them. I, I understand that. Yeah. At the same time, maybe Lee's can just fold that into the cost. <laughs> I don't like, yeah, I mean, know. I think, you know, maybe the next step in this is teams embracing the fact that they know that they're going to get fined. Right. Right. And I think I think Gotham was trying to have it both ways it, is that. Kelly made the announcement and you put all this content, but you don't announce the actual contract and hope that's going to be the thing that gets you out of Mm -hmm. you just got to go with it you just got to embrace it if you're going to do it i don't know maybe they could have played you know the little coy like who will our player signing be and it's like everybody knows it's kelly o'hara but they've walked close enough to the line of not actually saying who yeah and you know but yeah we're not we're not uh, a marketing team so i'll leave that (laughs) to the business side just what a delightfully NWSL thing to happen. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's quickly touch on the U.S. Women's National Team, though we have done plenty of writing about it as well. Um, Just in terms of, I, I, I think the panic is probably still there for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't know. I don't know if it's there for us at this point. Yeah, on two levels. One being, I've decided to like <laughs> let go of worrying about soccer outcomes, at least, just because I was like, it's creating too much stress in my life. So I'm just going to let go of it and accept what is. <laughs> and on another level of like specific to the team being like, they could be fine. Let's see what Jan Camp brings. It's yet another, it's a little bit punting the ball down the road, right? Yeah. Where last time we were like, all right, let's see how the Germany games go and the mixed results. And now we're like, let's see how Jan Camp goes. And then the they were mixed results though, because I did general like I think there was one major lapse, really, in terms of giving up that goal in the mm-hmm. first game. But generally generally they did look better. Like they yeah. just did. That's true. Mixed results literally in that one loss, one win. But even in that loss, for like a good hour. Oh, yeah, they, they were looked, the better team. They looked good. And then yep. in the second game, again, you know, they they were doing better. And we saw some like tactical adjustment. And so they're responding to things. They're not totally static, which is good. 
Yeah, I mean, I still think we would both like to see more actual changes. I still want to at least... I would love to have a look at a double pivot in terms of the midfield, right? And Mm -hmm. like the midfield, I think, has been the thing that we have talked about the most Mm -hmm. (laughs) over the last few months. And, you know, the hole that Julie Arts has left in this midfield and Mm -hmm. the uncertainty around Sam Ewis and her return and and using the pieces that we, in theory, think are going to be available for for 2023 because we don't know definitively what those pieces Mm -hmm. are going to be. Um, but yeah, just in terms of, of now the struggle is, you know, the, the clock is winding down. I think Claire Watkins wrote this, uh, a a piece about kind of the sunk cost fallacy that is the U S women's national team that I, I really appreciated because I do think that that is now we're in that territory of, I don't think Vlaco was ever going to lose his job. I don't think that was ever really on the table, despite what people may have wanted, but there is kind of the sense of now, you know, they've spent a lot of time trying to figure things out. And now we're we're about to hit a World Cup year. And in theory, this is when maybe things go from, okay, we're trying to figure out which combinations work, right? A lot of different center back pairings this past year. Not a lot of change in the midfield. But now there's the sense of, okay, we got to flip the switch a little bit from what is working, what isn't. All these players are missing because of injury. And now... You've got to get all these players back in and also try to maybe firm up that starting 11, though is that necessarily the culture of the team at this point? I don't really know. Um, It wasn't necessarily in the Olympics. Is that going to change? We don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so there are, I think, still big questions, but also the sense of, what everybody has been waiting for, which is the return of a lot of these players in either January or February and what that's going to do to this team. Mm -hmm. I think that thing you mentioned about like, is that really the culture of this team anymore about a more set starting 11 is actually really uh, an important point for people to think about where it's like in past years, I think it was a lot more predictable. Like, yeah, these are starting 11 players. Um, It might change here and there. And now we're moving into an era of a lot more unnecessarily uncertainty. Maybe flexibility is actually the word where it's like, I want players who can play multiple roles and, you know, I want multiple options on the roster. You may not necessarily know some of it's by necessity. Who would have predicted in the same year, Abby Dahlkemper and Tierna Davidson both taken out God, did you see Abby Dahlkemper's Instagram with her like spinal surgery and the, the screws, the screws in her? Like, I was like, oh my God. As someone who has screws in my body, I can confirm. I, I wouldn't recommend them for anyone. So, right. And these are in her spine. Yeah, I don't feel great about that. You need that. You need yeah. your spine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so some of it's by necessity, but I think it is important to maybe register that, yeah, we are moving into an era where there's a lot less firmed up starting 11 players, which is something I think people actually wanted for a long time. They're like, Oh, the same players yet again, who's going to be able to get in to this squad when like the same people get caps over and over and over again, the same people get called in over and over again. And I think we have moved into an era of more flexibility where I think Vlaco (laughs) maybe watches more NWSL as well and has like more of a, the eye of a scout. Um, so we, we got what we wanted, and now it's caused a little bit of chaos. 
And yeah, it just I think it's a culture shift, right? Of yeah. of you know, we did have this kind of very locked in national team, and part of that was because of the way that the CBA worked too. Truly, yeah. like, yeah. and that that is now very different. But also, you know, I think that might have been one of the struggles at the Olympics is that if you are changing your starting eleven based on tactics and based on what your opponent is in theory presenting you, right? Like is Lynn Williams starting or not? Because we need to like truly go in on a high press, Mm -hmm. right? Like something Mm -hmm. along those lines. That is a culture shift for players who might be more used to, I know if I'm going to play or not. Right. And it's something that I think we see a lot more of on the men's side. Right. And um, I think it has been a little bit of a shift to that more of that system on the women's side. As the game has grown, as call-ups, I think, fluctuate a little bit more from camp to camp. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a it's a huge adjustment on everyone's part. Um, and now I think we're going to get another kind of big shift in terms of, you know, I think the, the call-ups for the October and November games could look very different from what this January camp roster looks like. Because if you're going to have this whole influx of players back in, what... Who gets dropped? Chaos. Yeah. So that's that's one of the big questions moving forward. Um, I do want to talk about one thing that happened off the field that is deeply, deeply important to the U.S. Women's National Team. And that is Rose Lavelle performing Celine Dion <laughs> at the Players' Ball. Um, because we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. Because honestly... That is a moment where you kind of look at this happening. You're like, oh, this team is like, at least in terms of the way that they're like, they're good. Yeah. They're good. Yeah. That doesn't happen in a team where things are weird. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. I mean, does it happen if they lose that second game against Germany? I don't know. But maybe it's a different song. (laughs) (laughs) I think Celine has some good like morning ballads but it's just uh, we go with my heart will go on instead you never know oh oh yeah i don't know um yeah i mean it's just i think that was one of the moments too where it's just like as as much as it was amazing to be there in person and just kind of the way that that went down was just truly absurd but um yeah, that is a moment where you're just kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is this is a good thing to send us off into November, December, and right. wait until January with. Yeah, it was a nice way to kind of get that final burst of energy out. Yeah. Um, I also had that song stuck in my head for the next literally like five days because every time I saw a picture of it or heard mention of it or just like it would instantly yep. kick off the song in my brain because it's yep. a... It's a banger. It is. Right. A hundred percent. And now that you mentioned it, it's already yep. like that baby, baby, baby. Yep. That part yep. instantly. Yep. Yeah. I am really curious to see how that week affects my Spotify wrapped <laughs> statistics. Like, oh, something happened here. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's gonna I think it's gonna have an impact, to say mm-hmm. the least. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of repeat one happening of mm-hmm. just well, this is stuck in my head again. I guess we're going to go on this journey. But fortunately, I have a new, like, real earworm song. So I also think that is going to affect my Spotify wrapped. But it is what it is. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's wrap up with one more delightful topic, and that is we are both actually uh, people who can vote for Soccer Hall of Fame. I'm on both the screening and then final voting panels. You're in the final voting panel. Um, are you off this year now? I was are off. You? They cycled okay. me out because they, they cycle yeah. members. Because we out. now have yeah. like there's terms and, and yeah, which yeah. is good. Yeah. No, I think yeah. We have certainly provided a lot of critical feedback <laughs> to Soccer Hall of Fame about how we need to get more women into the Hall of Fame. Also about how there's going to be this giant gridlock with a whole bunch of people who have won multiple World Cups who right, right. should be in the Soccer Hall of Fame. And it's just kind of like, I don't just know how we're going to do all this. <laughs> seeing me on the Zoom again and I mean like, oh, here she goes again. And me just being like, you can just do it. The rules yeah. are fake. <laughs> Just put them in the Hall of Fame. Just just elect the whole team. Yeah, you don't it's have usually... to wait for like three players every year. Just do it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about the Hall of Fame all we want. But the good news is, is that this week they announced Lauren Cheney Holiday as a member of this year's class. And for folks who might have been more recent uh, additions to watching women's soccer, if you have not gone back to watch some highlight reels from early NWSL seasons, I highly, highly, highly recommend it because that was always in in both in pretty much every Zoom where we kind of, you know, present our cases for candidates. I was like, listen, yes, national team. Great. I need to talk to you about Lauren Cheney holiday on FC Kansas City and the shit that she used to do. Because if you were not watching it, it was so good. And also my favorite is, and when you get to the second panel, Vlaco is also in the room because he votes on this one. And so I'm like, I don't know why I'm talking when Vlaco is also present. Right, right. I just remember he gave an interview when he was still coaching FCKC, I think. And he talked about how on his teams there are like artists and warriors. And Lauren Holiday is an artist. Like yes. the warriors help enable the artists to do their wild artist stuff and my god she was an artist and i just think like obviously she had her reasons for managing her career the way she did but oh if we could have gotten another cycle of her playing <sighs> yeah i know it's kind of <laughs> the the what if situation but i i mean for me, this is where the soccer hall of fame is really so important too, in terms of not just figuring out how do we get you know, this, this golden generation of national team talent in, but how do we honor people who are so influential in the professional game in terms of early NWSL, right? Like, you know, we're going to have to have a real conversation too when people like Christine Sinclair and Marta retired, because this is not like a U.S. soccer hall of fame. It is a, a hall of fame for American soccer. And that means international players who played in these leagues are eligible. Like David Beckham has been up. Mm -hmm. um, all of these players who can't Thierry Henry <laughs> has been in the, in the voting thing. And I think that is kind of one of the bigger struggles of the hall of fame is how do you hold all of these different things and prioritize them? And, you know, you have people who are around for the formation of MLS who are, are just as important. Um, you have people, one of the big struggles with with women's players too is that that there are gaps in between leagues and so for them to meet the qualifying requirements can sometimes be really hard but when you think about someone like Cece right who was in Wusa in in the Bay Area and her legacy in that league there's probably a case for it but 
she doesn't meet like technical requirements of having played a certain number of games. So it is harder, I think, to meet those those barriers to entry on the women's side. But Lauren Holiday to me is a player where as soon as her name it was just like you have to like get her at the top of the list immediately, mm-hmm. immediately, immediately. Mm-hmm. She's one of the most gifted midfielders that has ever played I in just, the US. Like, so I, I just watching her in person, true like I mean, I think about the the 2015 NWSL Championship, which was in Portland, FC, Kansas City. And think about, uh, it was one of Lauren Holiday. I think that was Lauren Holiday's last NWSL game, right? She retired after that. Um, A-Rod was on that team. Heather O'Reilly was on that team. Like, that generation. My also, my favorite thing about this Hall of Fame class was that Heather O'Reilly was up. <laughs> for election and then had to get taken off the list because she unretired to go play in Ireland so that way she could get a taste of Champions League, which is the most Heather O'Reilly story right, right. on the face of the planet. She just decided, like, I think I want to, like, one more thing off my bucket list. You know, I've had some babies. It's fine. Like, yeah. no big deal. Let me go back to training. I, if yeah. she ever stopped training in the first place, honestly. <laughs> she didn't. Let's be real. No. Um, all right, Steph. It is it is holiday weekend. You're in New York. You've been to Zabar's. Um, I'm flying to hang out with my wife's <laughs> family tonight. I'm picking her up from work, and then we are going to go suffer through the Burlington Airport. Um on a holiday, I, I do not know what to expect. I will tell you, Burlington Airport just got a whole bunch of like new TSA technology. And moving from New York, where you go through the security at like JFK or LaGuardia, and they just like glance at you and they're like, whatever, you're fine. To Burlington, where it's like four people standing around a panel trying to decide if like my voice recorder is something that is a threat or not. It's a very different vibe. Um, but what is what is one thing that you are thankful for this holiday season maybe i'll mention two things one is actually i think i'm going to spend this season uh reading a lot of um decolonization uh reading lists there's some good ones i uh saw one on autostraddle.com that was a list of maybe some good starting points for people to decolonize their own thinking and second is we're going to go watch the the Macy's parade floats getting inflated because my <laughs> wife's well, family. You're very close, right? Yeah, they live on the Upper West Side, and that's where I think the floats are. And I just love the macabre side of like <laughs> these floats half inflated. So these like sad kind of de- they look deflated bodies, just like weirdly out of shape. Where so maybe we'll go see like Spider Man with just his butt inflated. <laughs> Okay. That was not the answer I was anticipating. Are you going to do the parade or are they No, not? God, no. God, yeah, why no, would that, I? Ugh. I agree. I mean, there are two things in New York that I was always like, I don't understand why people do them. One was the Thanksgiving Day Parade and the other is New Year's Eve in Times Square, which is literally what I think hell is. Yeah. It, on two levels, like, I don't want to be out in that crowd. And on the other one, I'm just trying not to engage with anything Thanksgiving as much as possible as part of kind of like the decolonization Effort where I'm just like, yeah. look, I know this is everybody's just in the national holiday or whatever, but like, you know, I'm 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 trying to like uncouple myself from from that thinking, do some more thoughtful reading, and you know, 
sure, I, I like spending family time. I like eating a big meal, but we can just do that. We can just do that. It's fine. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah no, Marjorie and I are going to go to the um, museum at uh, the part of the Smithsonian for the American Indian on mm -hmm. Friday after Thanksgiving. And um, a, I've never been to that one. I lived in DC. We've never done that one, but um, I'm also very excited to experience their food court, which apparently has a lot of like really good food. Um, so I, on multiple levels, I think very uh, excited to actually go explore that. I'm also very thankful for the fact that I went skiing for the first time after my double broken leg and my leg was totally fine and worked. And uh, my main struggle is just the fact that I have lost all of my quads. <laughs> so after like six runs, my legs were like, it's time for you to go get coffee and be done now. Thank you. But when, when you posted about that, I swear to God, I heard the Jaws theme in my head i was like okay you're you're poking at some kind of like i don't know if i believe in fate but you're poking at it yeah no the conditions were great um i i now i just got my other pair of skis from my dad because they were still in massachusetts because he had them to work on them and yeah it's I am no longer allowed to race. That is the compromise that I have struck with my wife following my accident last year since it happened on a race course, but I am allowed to ski. So the season has now officially begun. Very excited. You're such a, you're such a New Englander. My other <laughs> pair of skis from my dad, he was working on them. Was he like putting new edges on them or something? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. They were All actually, right. they are my race skis, which had I had my race skis on me when I was on this race course, I probably would not have had an accident because I blew through the gate and these skis have a tip. So that way, if you hit the gate, it goes to the outside of your ski instead of the inside of your ski, which is what happened to me. Again, highly do not recommend that. It all, is very painful. All I hear is like, Marjorie was right. Your wife was right. <laughs> That's all I hear. The more that you say, I didn't know about this detail. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Steph. Until next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, as always, to Steph for hanging out for a bit. Uh, and again, for all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. Links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot and more information about the show. Again, if you would like to subscribe to The Athletic, support all of our women's soccer coverage, do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. And remember, it's $1 a month, 12 months right now through this weekend only. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm still on Twitter so far at It's Meg Linehan, same handle for Instagram. Again, ski photos now happening. I've parked on a few different places as well. Uh, Co-host, Post News, Hive, uh, we'll find out. We'll, we'll find out where we all end up, I guess. And of course, my work is always going to be at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. And again, happy Thanksgiving.